Welcome to this To Tell Us Die podcast. My name is Jenny Donnelly, and in this episode, we are asking a very important question. Is it possible for somebody who has experienced a great loss, is it possible for that person to experience rest? I'm here today with my very good friend, my new friend, Pam Vredevelt. She is a licensed professional counselor, and I just love you so much, Pam. You're so much fun. You bring so much light and so much hope to this world, and you do have a story to tell in this area of grieving, but why did I want to interview you today? The reason is, is because you carry such tremendous peace, such tremendous light, and knowing your story, knowing where you've been in the depths of despair, in the depths of grief, I want you to share with people today, what did God do? What did you do with God to get to a place where you could experience such joy and hope again? And so I have very specific questions for you, and we're just going to let this conversation go wherever the Lord leads it. But before we get started with that, I want you to share with us your husband, John, a little bit about yourself, your husband, John, and you've been married for how many years? 43, and we got married super young. That's amazing. And we right now, we're recording this podcast at Crestview Manor yes. Conference Center in Corbett, Oregon, just outside Portland, mm -hmm. which is the headquarters for To Tell Us Die, as of just a few months ago. And I want you to tell us what's so special about this place. Oh, we just absolutely love Crestview because for... Oh, I'm going to say about 20 years, John and I used to come up here. And when John was a youth pastor, he led all kinds of youth camps here. And before we were married, we were up here on a young adults retreat. And uh, in the afternoon, there was a time where we just had free time. So we went for a walk along the path, looking at the beautiful gorge, the Columbia Gorge. And lo and behold, right in the middle of that walk, he stopped, got on a knee Wow. And asked if I would marry him. That's amazing. And overlooking that beautiful Columbia Gorge on that sunny day, I burst into tears. I was so happy and he was so happy as well. And we, I just thought this, this is going to be so much fun, such an adventure to be together and, you know, following God and serving people doesn't get any better than that. Well, 43 years later, I can say just by looking at your children, looking at your life, all the books that you've written. I've lost count of that. You did tell me and I forgot it was a lot. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but you and John have accomplished so much for the kingdom. You've had so many yeses in your spirit for what God's asked you to do. And I'm inspired by that, knowing that it has not always been easy for you. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk today about rest, this place of rest. We've been talking about this in our still journey and we're several weeks in and we've been talking about rest, but I specifically want to ask you, can you help us, anybody out there who've experienced a great loss mm -hmm. in a husband and a wife, maybe they lost a parent at a young age, maybe they've lost a baby, a child, even a grown child. I mean, these losses that you think, will I ever recover? Yeah. Is there a place of rest mm -hmm. for somebody who has experienced great loss and I'm sure that you never wanted this to be your story. Nobody would ever want this to be their story. So I would love for you to share with us, tell us your story. Tell us where your grief began. I, I would say my first significant loss was when John and I had been married 
eight years and we waited quite a while to get pregnant because I was in graduate school and he was knee deep and <laughs> neck deep in ministry with, you know, 300 kids that he was corralling. And at that point, when I got pregnant, we were so excited and I walked into my fifth month regular checkup and wearing this beautiful little new maternity dress that I had. And I just couldn't wait to hear the heartbeat again. And the sad news was at the end of that particular time, there was no heartbeat. And the doctor uh, turned to me and he said, Pam, I'm so sorry. I'm not picking up a heartbeat. I think the baby is dead. And, and wow. it absolutely rocked my world. All my I could think was that, you know, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, this baby has been prayed for from the very beginning and, and I'm healthy and, and we're going to be good parents. What, what is up? What is with this? How wow. can this be? And so the next day we went through the normal labor and delivery process and uh, delivered that baby and went home with very, very devastated hearts and empty arms. So that was the most significant loss early on. And, and in that process, after the fact, I was swimming at our athletic club about a month later, and I used to swim a mile on my lunch break and swimming up and down the, the doing my laps and bawling my eyes out and crying out to God saying, God, you, you say that good things come from bad things in this world. And I don't see one little good thing. Yeah, that in had this. to be very confusing. I, I couldn't see it. And I said, if that's true, I need your perspective because I can't see anything good in this. And in that moment, the picture of a book flashed across the screen of my mind. And I knew it was a book for couples who had suffered a, some kind of a loss, a pregnancy loss. And, but it really didn't make sense to me in the, because I'd never written a book. I didn't know how to write a book. But I had been looking for a book that would mm. address the, all the questions and the turmoil and the, the spiritual issues that I had with all of this. So would you say that it was hard to find somebody to relate to or somebody to say, here's exactly what I did to get out of this? I mean, you, you, were, you were looking for a way to yes, heal. Yes, and I honestly didn't know anybody. Nobody in my family had ever had a, a stillbirth or a miscarriage. So you didn't have a file for this. You didn't know I had no where file. to go to, where to put this. Yeah, this is really, really traumatic. There, there was one lady in our church who reached out to me and she had also lost a baby and she was probably 30 years ahead of me. And she, you know what she did? She just loved me. She just hugged me. She just brought food to me. But there wasn't, I needed to talk about this. And so I, I talked with a lady that was a mentor who had published a book and she said, you need to write that book. And you need to send your story to me on Monday. And it was Friday. And I got wow. a little I got a little ticked off with her because I wasn't ready. I said, I am, I am not ready to do that. And she said, You have to capitalize on your emotions right now and on your wow. experience because your perspectives will change even in six months. So that weekend I sat in my lower level and with a steno pad, a, a yellow notepad and a pen, wrote and wrote and wrote all weekend and bottomed out, cried my way through the weekend oh and gave her the story on Monday. She said, send it off to seven publishers. Wow. 
which is what I did. And that was the beginning of uh, a grief journey, unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. But I want to say we find rest in the process. It's not like flipping a switch. That's right. It's an experiential process, which we serve an experiential God. And he is, he is an amazing redeemer of our internal process and can bring deep, deep healing when we do our part. One of the things I like to do is kind of picture the grief process as a pair of train tracks. And okay. on, on one side of the train, one track is we release. Mm-hmm. Like your rest, you have that wonderful acronym rest, release Every single thing. I love that. I wanted to steal it. I really wished I hadn't come up with it, but you came up with it. (laughs) It's so good. Release every single thing. What a great thing to do every single day, right? Through the day when we're all tied up. Then on the other side, the other train track is receive. Okay. We have to release, but we also have to receive. And when you're grieving, you're so depleted you wonder if you can even go on at times. So receiving, we need to receive whatever it is we need. And that comes, like you say, so beautifully in the picture of the cross. It comes vertically and it comes horizontally. So in that vertical place, we receive from God. In that horizontal place, we receive from others. you You have to have both. That's how we're created. God created us to heal emotionally in the context of relationships. We find peace and rest in the midst of grief in the context of relationships. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Because I don't want to zoom past something that you said. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to that weekend with the yellow notepad. Yeah. And the word vulnerable Mm -hmm. is flashing through my mind right now. Mm -hmm. And the tears came because you gutted yourself Mm -hmm. and wrote from a place of, I'm not better yet. Exactly. From emotional honesty. Okay. And so this is a space that we talk about that we can't circumvent this. We can't jump past it. There's no pass. Mm -hmm. And this place of vulnerability where you gut yourself and you say, I'm not okay. I don't know what's wrong and I don't know how to fix me. God, here I am. I'm a mess. Do you feel, if you can go back and remember, Mm -hmm. do you remember feeling something that felt like hope or rest or peace or something solid hit you even just a little bit Mm -hmm. after you gutted yourself on that paper and handed that in? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's like, Popping the cork off a shaken champagne bottle. Wow. Okay. What a great picture. That's what it is. When, when we, in fact, there is beautiful neuroscience and, and grief science research on the power of writing to heal mm. and documented scientific evidence that when we write our story, our, uh, all the troubles and it's the, there's a real important key here. It's the combination of the thoughts and the feelings together mm. on paper. We release that on paper. Wow. 
that is what we're doing there is we are releasing the energy of emotion on paper, mm. emotion, energy in motion. When we're grieving, we have so much energy going on and swirling inside of us, you know, a hundred miles an hour. Wow. And if we just try to tamp that down, it goes into our bodies mm. and it makes us sick and it comes out. It doesn't just go away. It does come out in very inconvenient and, you know, really intolerable ways and we end up hurting people. But when we release that energy on paper in a very constructive way and with God in relationship with God, we feel better just doing that. I mean, even if Amazing. you didn't do that in relationship with God, we, we have scientific evidence that just doing that can help you feel better because you are getting that energy expressed instead of internalized. So I went to a Hillsong conference a couple of years ago and they had a, seg a segment of the conference and I was sitting there watching. It was only a couple of months before our Her Voice conference in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there watching this segment going, this is powerful. Selena Gomez was one of the people on the platform along with some other adults mm -hmm. and they were reading letters mm -hmm. to their younger self. Beautiful. Yes. You're going to go through some things. You don't know what's coming. Yes. You're going to experience a divorce and it's going to be very difficult for you. You're going to be confused. Yes. But there's somebody that's going to come along. You're going to find a friend. They're going to show you who Jesus is. And, and they write this letter basically backwards. Beautiful. To themselves. Mm -hmm. So we took that to the conference and we had six ladies up there. And we had them do the same thing. And it, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Mm -hmm. And then we asked the women, would you now write your own story? Beautiful. And so I'm thinking about this going, okay, a lot of listeners have lost a baby. Mm -hmm. Didn't you say that the miscarriage, what did you say the other One day? One million women suffer a miscarriage every year in America. That is, it's unbelievable. That's astonishing. And so a lot of listeners just on that alone mm -hmm. are going to leave this recording and they're going to, they're going to write their letter tonight. They're going to do that tonight. And then if somebody can't relate mm -hmm. to this type of loss, what loss can we relate to? Mm -hmm. You know, I lost a mom and dad being married to each other. Mm -hmm. There's so much to write about. And I used to be so afraid of opening up the pain. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting that when we get vulnerable and we gut ourselves out, with, without having answers. It's easy to do it when you have the answers, when you're fixed and you feel better. Mm -hmm. Then you can speak from a, oh, it all got better standpoint. But when I'm, when I'm getting myself open and I don't have answers yet and I'm just a mess and the, the story ends, we don't know what happens next, you know? Mm -hmm. It's interesting how you would think that that would cause more pain to go to the pain, but it does just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Now, did you know this because you were a licensed professional counselor? Did you know this or were you just doing this because this woman said, I want it on Monday? No, actually at the time I was not a licensed professional counselor. Oh, at that time you weren't. No, okay. I was, um, I was in graduate school in actually in the area of communications. Okay. <laughs> so the, the licensed professional counselor didn't come until later. Okay. So if you don't mind, can we rabbit trail, which I believe rabbit trails are just Holy ghost trails. Okay. I don't believe I like that, that they're rabbits, yeah. but could you, share with us, was this experience part of driving you into counseling? 
Did this have, did it, did this play into you going into this profession? I think it did. I think it did. The writing actually was Holy Spirit prompted with that, that picture of that book. Cause yes. I would not have come up with the idea of writing my story. Okay. Um, and then she just said, okay, let's push this along. But I, at the time I was working at a counseling center with teenagers because John and I were, you know, working with yeah. all these teens and they wanted me to run a group for teens on self-esteem. So I said, okay, not, not a problem. I had a master's degree and that's all you needed for, to meet the criteria for there. And so while I was there, I would sit in these staff meetings with these doctors and psychologists and professional counselors. And I'm like, they're speaking a language I don't know, but they are really making impact in people's lives. What are those tools they have? And it lit a fire in me. Okay. And so I went back to graduate school and studied in that area and finished, finished my degree then and got licensed. So but, this practical side of helping people heal, mm -hmm. it, it can be very practical. Very, very practical. practical. And these tools that you can give people, you thought, well, I want to help people heal. And now that I have these tools, mm -hmm. I can be somebody who loads up my tool belt and starts handing out the appropriate tool for the appropriate work. And what is so, I just, I'm so thankful is to be able to do this with God and with the truth of scripture, because when you use tools that line up with the truths and the templates that we see in scripture, right? Profound and deep healing happens. That's amazing. So do you think as a culture, we are moving in the right direction for appropriate grieving. Do you think that we are in a great gap of the tools? Like where are we as a culture with grieving appropriately? I don't think we grieve well as a culture at all. Um, let me ask you a question. When you were growing up and people that your parents knew passed away or people that you knew died, did you have conversations about that in your home? No. Did they, nope. did, did you have any discussion about feelings about death and life and this whole process afterwards, after a loss? No. In fact, you're making me think about a death of a marriage. You know, how many people listening are children of divorce? See, I used to think, well, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, I learned so much during that. It sure made me a stronger person. And, and all of that is true. All of that Absolutely, is true because God uses all of that yes. in his favor and our favor. Yes. And then you get into a time where you're like, okay, I am feeling anxious. I'm feeling fearful. And this fruit shows up and you have to trace it back. The Lord traces it back mm -hmm. to, we never grieved. Yeah. The little eight-year-old Jenny is still asking questions, mm -hmm. even though the 38-year-old Jenny, I'm not 38 now, <laughs> but about 38, 36 yeah. is when I said, maybe yeah. there's some healing mm -hmm. that never happened that needs to happen. Even though, and I, I just, I, I say this all the time, but it's like we leave our little selves in the dust. Yeah. And we're back there going, um, I'm not okay. I have questions. And our adult self puts these in boxes and files it away yes. and yes. kind of gives the logic to it. So for me, it was a really vulnerable process to go back to that Jenny who was hurting. Um, but that is when my healing began. I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. With the Lord. Yes. I've had people tell me that they've, they've gone back 
in counseling mm-hmm. that Jesus was not brought into mm. that moment and that healing, and they did not feel better. And I yeah. said, well, that's because Jesus has Jesus is the healer. Mm. So tell me, what is it going to look like for somebody to heal with God? Mm-hmm. I know that's such a huge question. That's such a loaded question. But if somebody right now says, hold on a minute, I want to know how to, I want to know how to heal. Don't get off this podcast without giving me some direction. Like, let's not end now. Let's make sure that we give some very practical, you know, what could somebody do? Maybe two or three things. What could somebody do today to begin to heal with God? Mm-hmm. Well, it brings us back to the chapter that we're focusing on, right? Yes. And one of the stories you share in there is about how you're, her little girl with the curly hair, her hair gets kind of tangled up mm-hmm. and how, you, you know, you put the detangler in there and you try to comb it through, but it doesn't happen without tears and without some pain, but every time, every time. And I thought that was such a great picture of how, when we have suffered a tragic or catastrophic loss and our heart is, is just busted wide open we have so many conflicting emotions and thoughts and questions, and it's this big hairball in our soul. And if there's one thing I would say, you're safe to go into your father's presence, climb up into your father's lap and ask the hard questions and make the hard statements that are there. He already knows. That's right. But for our own good, we have to be emotionally honest and start talking real about what's going inside on inside of us so that we can sort out those things with God. And one of the greatest simple things that I do even today continually is to ask God questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really ruffled on this. I'm really upset about this. I need your perspective. That's kind of where I started way back when, when we lost our baby. I need your perspective. Now, he didn't answer my question like I thought he would, but I saw a picture that completely changed how I was looking at things, right? Yes. So oftentimes God doesn't answer the question we ask in the way we think he will, but he gives us an element of truth that will give us a point of relief. So he wasn't just wanting you to intellectually understand. He could have said that day swimming, well, here's what's going on. Here's the truth. Now we can move on. (laughs) Or he could say, here's the start of a process. Yeah. And, and you're going to, I actually want your heart Mm -hmm. because he's so loving. When my kids come to me and they're hurting, I don't want to say, hey, listen, you need to stop crying because of this, this, and this. And there's no reason to cry. Now, my flesh wants to say that. And I have said that. (laughs) Stop crying. But when we're being patient and when we're being compassionate, okay, what's wrong? Tell me why you're crying. Okay, come here. Let me me see into your heart. The intimacy chapter is what we're talking about Mm -hmm. today. In to me see. And how much trust was built between you and the Lord on that yellow pad of paper. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, I first want you just to release, Mm -hmm. release that hairy, scary, Mm -hmm. confusing thoughts. And it's also him honoring you and saying, I just don't want to fix you. I want to know you. I want to know your, your pain. I want to know 
everything that's going on inside of you. And I want you to trust me. Now he already knows. That's the interesting thing Mm -hmm. about this relationship Mm -hmm. is he already knows, but we need to know that he knows. And so there it was on that pad of paper. And how amazing is that? Now I do have to ask you this. Did he answer many of those questions Mm -hmm. in the book itself that came from him through you? Yes, he did. (laughs) Yes, he did. And so God is such a multiplier. Mm -hmm. He's like, Hey, why don't we answer that question? for a whole lot of people. Mm. And I'm going to choose to do it through you. I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn here. What would you say to people out there who have somebody nudging them, kind of going, wait a minute, you're supposed to start that Bible study. Okay, hold on a minute. Have you started that blog yet? No, I haven't started it. What would you just say to somebody who isn't taking the nudge? Mm -hmm. They've, They've kind of lost the urgency of somebody coming along and giving them a little prodding. What would you say to that person who's maybe in the habit of not saying yes to the prodding? Because I I see this happen a lot Mm -hmm. and people are missing. They're actually praying for something and then missing the window, missing the wave, missing the opportunity Mm -hmm. because they're afraid. I think it's a mindset block. Uh, Confront it, confront it. It's usually fear that holds us back. The enemy loves to rob us of opportunity, right? Yes, he does. And I think we have to call it for what it is. If, if you're being nudged and that's been confirmed in a number of different ways, push through that fear. I mean, I'd, I had great feelings of, ang- of, of inadequacy yes. and fear when I wrote that book. I'm like, oh, I don't know if they're going to like this, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Your head just goes in circles on all that negative stuff. Just do it. Push through the fear. Pick, take one step, one little step and test it and see what kind of a response you get from someone you can trust. One little step. That's beautiful. Get motion, get motion out of that paralysis. One little step. That's beautiful. You know, when I wrote this book, I was asking a lot of the wrong questions. Who should I write it to? Are they older, younger, saved, male, female? what if they don't like, what if, wait, who am I to write a book? You know, asking these questions that just get you in paralysis. Yeah. And I had written one chapter mm-hmm. in eight months. Mm-hmm. And I thought at this rate, this is going to be 20, 30 years here. <laughs> so we're not on a good, we're not on a good start. And I just sat down one day in all honesty and just told my husband, I said, Bob, I can't figure out who I'm writing to mm-hmm. and why am I writing this? Except for the burning the burning fire in my gut yeah. and God wouldn't let it, he wouldn't let me put that thing out. But even that though was I tried. such an important question to ask. Cause yep. if you can define that, mm-hmm. then you got a target, right? That's right. And this is what Bob said to me. Mm. And this is what changed everything. He said, Jenny, write it for our kids. Beautiful. They need to know how you got here. Wow. Perfect answer. And I thought, Oh, I could do that. And so I wrote a book for my children and said, anybody in the world can read it. It's just an open book for anybody. But I didn't want my kids to get to, a, or my grandkids for that matter, mm-hmm. get to a place and go, oh, Grandma Jenny, she had so much rest and peace and nothing really ruffled her feathers. Oh, you don't know my story. You don't know how I got here. Oh, you don't, you think it's my personality. No, no, no. This is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's duplicable. Yes, that's beautiful. Right? And your, your grieving process, mm-hmm. duplicable. For somebody right now that feels so much anxiety, so much pain, lots of depression because they've lost a child, Mm -hmm. just by 
the leading of the Holy Spirit, what would you say right now to that person listening? That's a good question. Yesterday I was talking with a half a dozen women who have lost children, all of whom were teenagers and older. And one gal out of New York said to me, um, I am just stuck in this negative, negative loop of anger over this loss. And I, I can't really get out of it. And I asked her, I said, have you considered asking for supernatural help mm. to begin a new process? And she said, no, I really, I really haven't. But I know I need supernatural help because I can't do it on my own. And I've been right there many times. <laughs> so... I think I would say to you, if you are in the deep, deep throes of grief, to ask God for the supernatural help that you need to just do the next thing. And I would encourage you to reach out, reach out to God and then reach out to at least one safe friend because the worst thing that you can do is grieve in isolation. We don't heal in isolation. Never. The worst punishment is uh, in a in a camp or in a in a prison is isolation. Wow. God created you to heal in relationship, and uh, it is not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It is a sign of strength. It is it is a sign of you realizing I'm in over my head and I am drowning. And that's really okay. Emotional honesty is very, very important in this process. So don't try to go it alone. Reach out and ask God for supernatural help to do so. And that's a good starting point. That's beautiful. So asking for supernatural help, asking for others to help. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the Embraced Conference coming up here in a moment. But I, we cannot end this podcast without opening a conversation, just a little conversation for families out there mm -hmm. who have experienced a loss in the family because you lost your first baby and it was you and John grieving together. But two years ago, you lost your son. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that. I can't imagine it. it. It's not like it was easier because you'd been through it one time, mm -mm. but you had a whole family now that had to grieve and this is still so fresh, but I know that your life is giving people hope today. Mm -hmm. I can still make a difference. Mm -hmm. I still have a voice. I can, I can still show up to a podcast and be interviewed, even though grief and pain are, there's still waves of that. I'm sure for years, mm -hmm. for years. Um, how did you, there's so many questions I could ask here, but I'm, I'm thinking about your family unit. Mm -hmm. How did you how did your family, mm -hmm. your children go through this loss? Yeah. Everybody has their own unique way of, of grieving. Grief is as unique as your fingerprint. Okay. Okay. And there are a lot of right ways to do it. Um, of course, men and women grieve very differently. Yeah. Tell me about that. 
Well, I think what what I, we experience, what John and I ex- have experienced, and also what I see happening in the counseling office when I'm working with couples is that there's this, un, it's an unspoken expectation that we will grieve the same because okay. we're suffering the same loss. Oh, yes. You know, we'll grieve the same. And so sometimes pain gets even uh, more complicated when a wife or a husband is expecting you know, the other one to be, to feel the same way or to feel, um, as intensely angry as they feel. I, I had one couple come in and, and she was just hot as a hornet. And of course she was, you know, this was, this was a, a catastrophic loss and her husband is just more of a low key laid back guy by personality. She's more of a high drive type a personality. Yes. And so, you know, it, personalities have different expression and grief as well, but what they came to see is that really was that counterbalance was really beautiful in the healing process. They could accept that they were in different spaces Mm -hmm. and be there for one another in those different places and to just release each other of those expectations. That's um, really important. I think in our family, um, one of the things that was important for all of us was writing. We, We all did a lot of our own personal writing of our feelings, of our thoughts. That's so good. Our questions, of our conflicts. And we talked, you know. Um, I think just giving each other permission to feel how we feel and to be okay with that, not to feel like I have to fix that, that my daughter's grieving. Yes, she's in a a really sad place. And of course, you know, as a mom, when you see your kids hurting, you hurt, right? And, but kids don't want to be fixed. They don't want to be told to feel better or hurried through the grief process any more than we do. Wow. They don't want to be pushed. And in fact, they get a little angry when they are. Do you think that as we're helping somebody or even walking next to somebody, is better said, we're walking next to them in their grief, there is with, a temptation to take away the pain. Like the best thing I could do for you is make you not feel so bad. Yes. So that is tempting, yes, right? But that's is. not real. That's not realistic. It doesn't help. It doesn't help because um, if you're trying to push me to feel better, I feel that and I just want to kick back with quit invalidating and devaluing my grief. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Not that that's what is meant, but that's what it feels like. So being with people and that, you know, it kind of takes practice. Yeah. Because we, I'm, by nature, I'm kind of look at the happy side of life. I was known as a little Pollyanna <laughs> as a little girl, you know. And so I, tr- I kind of naturally look at the happy side of life. But um, man, in the throes of grief, that is not happening. So for the person listening who has maybe a sister or a brother or a mom or a best friend that's lost mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the temptation is to ignore, yes. pretend it didn't happen yes. or go head on and try to fix it. And I know neither of those are great. Yes. So what would you, what, what advice can you give somebody who is walking next to somebody? Thank you loss? for asking that question because 90% of the time I'm going to say people withdraw. Okay because they feel so awkward and they don't know what to say. They don't want to bring something up that's going to ruin their day. So they say nothing. And then people are left to suffer in silence alone. Oh, it's so lonely. Grief is grief. Dark grief is the loneliest feeling 
And I do have to in say, this world, I think. as a female, mm-hmm. if my husband's not grieving the way, quote unquote, I think, or not grieving the way I'm grieving, right? Mm-hmm. As females, we tend to think, I'm alone. Yes. You're not grieving like me, so you can't relate to me. Now yes. I'm really, really alone. So yes. I can see that loneliness, yes. that lie, I'm all alone. Yes. Really, and we've talked about that fear in previous episodes, mm-hmm. where that fear of I'm all alone, mm-hmm. I have no help, mm-hmm. you know, that thing gets driven in. But even more mm-hmm. when people kind of walk on eggshells or the elephant in the room, that kind of thing. So would you say the best thing to do would be to ask questions? How are, tell, tell me what that, what does that look like? Let, coach us up on yeah. what that looks like. So I would say do not withdraw and do not say nothing. Uh, do reach out and say, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Uh, I would love to help in some way. I don't know what would be helpful. Could you give me some ideas? Wow. What would be meaningful? There you go. Simple things like, can I take your kids to school? Can I run to the grocery for you? Can I bring a meal? Well, I hear you asking questions. What I don't hear you doing is giving answers. Right. Right. To try to resolve the pain. Yeah. You're asking questions. How can I be helpful? Yes. Could I take the kids for you today? Yes. I have a few hours. I'm just going to run by if you, if you would find it helpful and I'll take the kids to the park. If you're a doer, I would go that direction. <laughs> if you're more of a person that is comfortable being with somebody in a hard place, be with them. Say, can I just come over? Is now a convenient time or would it be convenient at such and such a time, and and don't say a lot. Mostly listen. Other cultures do such a better job of this than we do. Uh, A friend of mine who was uh, a missionary in Africa for years and years said that when one of the people in their community died, that he was very close to, the people just came in and sat, literally sat all day and said nothing on his living room floor. That is incredible. Just being with people. Compassion actually means to suffer with. That word in the Aramaic, in the original language, to suffer with, actually in the Greek. You know, James 4, 8, 9, and 10, the Lord brought me to that scripture. I wish I had it in front of me, but it just came up in my spirit. But it says to, you know, put down your joy and grieve and I will lift you up. And the Lord brought me to that when I was grabbing positivity to get myself through something. Mm -hmm. And he did tell me, I gave you positivity as a gift, but that doesn't mean that you just use it Mm -hmm. however you want. I need you to, I need you to use the gift of positivity according to my direction and my, and yield, yield the tools and the gifts I gave. And I thought, oh, they aren't just mine to use whenever I want. Okay. (laughs) Cause he said, what's happening is you're preventing yourself from healing in this particular area of my life a couple of years ago, you're preventing it because you're using positivity to shield yourself good and word. to deflect pain. That's good. And he brought me to James four where he said, sometimes I ask people to grieve, yeah. to put, you know, put your joy down. And there's a context of that scripture that could mean something else. But to me, you know, the word is multi-layered. It yes. means what it means yes. when the Holy spirit brings mm-hmm. it up. And he just basically said, grieve, and I will lift you up. You want to be lifted up, but we're going we're gonna to go through a door that you don't want to go through, which is through grieving. I'm a person that doesn't want to feel bad. 
I don't like feeling bad. Nobody nobody (laughs) does. I don't either. I want to go the other direction. So this was very counterintuitive Mm. for me to even admit that I had pain. I mean, even that was very difficult for me in my healing process of my life. But it's been such a joy to have you here. I have so many other questions. We need to have you back on this podcast. You've been able to add so much value. One of the things that I heard the Lord say to me about you, Pam, was that you are a pioneer for grief with God in this nation. And I believe even internationally, but our nation, our culture needs to know how to grieve with God so that we can live in rest. We can also say yes to all the things that God's asking us to do instead of just being completely derailed. And so I believe that you are a pioneer and I believe that God is raising up his pioneers in this next era. This next decade is a, it it is a giant fibrillator on top of the pioneers. And so I just want to bless you in the pioneering of this work and God's anointed you for this. It's, it's, you, you get this anointing because of the pressure you've been through and that whole thing about wine. It's like, oh yeah, the crushing, that's right. You know, and we get, we get the anointing that comes from the crushing and, um, although the crushing is awful, it really is. The anointing then comes and breaks yokes. Mm-hmm. And so the embraced conference, mm-hmm. I'm so excited about this because I believe that there is going to be a, an anointing mm-hmm. that comes from you and other people so that they can have the same power, joy, healing in their own hearts mm-hmm. and really live in this space of joy that seems maybe impossible right now. Can you tell us about the Embrace Conference, when it is, who it's for? Yeah, we get to team in this together. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. You know, one of the things I notice about the millennials is they are so incredibly honest and they don't try to sugarcoat things. I I love that. I love working with that kind of energy because that kind of honesty and energy can really push through those barriers um, that and mindsets that can get in our way when we're grieving. So when you talk about pioneering work, I just believe that you're the next generation of millennials have the potential to do much, a much, much better job than, than our totally generation agree. or the generations before in being able to deal with grief and, and share that wealth. They value honesty. They value vulnerability. They value the real story. Yes. They don't value religion. Yes. In the context of religious duty. Mm-hmm. And my children, I see them spring to life mm-hmm. when life gets, when we're doing real authentic life. Mm-hmm. Any of anything that I tried to do like, oh, hey, we're going to do this to make everything better. My little religious something I'm putting out there. They're like, <laughs> eh, they do not respond. In fact, they're kind of my litmus test. I'm like, I think that's religious of me to do that. And so I have so much hope in this area because of exactly what you said. And, and as a church, even we have to tell our stories. We, we, meaning the older generation, we have to be telling our stories. We have to be honest. We have to say, I'm not totally fixed yet, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I have hope in Jesus, but I'm still half a mess. That's okay. But if we start being honest, the millennials are wanting to come to church, but they don't want phony. They don't do fake. They don't do, let's just put on a mask here. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that it's not working Mm -hmm. to 
just put up a religious barrier. And so I love what you're saying right now because I believe that the millennials are going to be the army that drives um, the healing process that the church desperately needs as well. I think there's the potential to break the patterns that have really held back a lot of people. If we have unresolved grief, if we're just burying that stuff and, and not healing it, what happens is people's callings and their, their purposes in this world really get, they get derailed and they get delayed. Exactly. Because they are not free to be the people they are designed to be. And they got all this conflict locked up inside. But if we can provide venues and opportunities like Embraced, where people could come together who have suffered some kind of a, a loss and learn how to experientially process their part and God's part mm. in the grieving process. Learn how to release experientially and receive from God experientially. Beautiful we can change this country. We can change our families. We can change society. I, I really believe that. Now, what about somebody like myself? Of course, I'm going to be teaming up with you, but somebody like myself who says, well, I haven't experienced a huge amount of loss, mm -hmm. but I have five kids. In their own way, when they come to me with something that's hard for them, sometimes I don't know how to deal with it. I, I just don't. Mm -hmm. Would somebody like me benefit from being at Embraced just to know what does this look like mm -hmm. to parent children through grief, to even maybe go, wait a minute, I do have grief now that I'm here at Embraced and realize what it is. Like, would somebody be able to come who can't put their finger on an exact loss that we're talking about today? Would you invite, is it male, female? I mean, who do you... Is it for people that just want to understand grief and really understand how to walk through it and help other people through? What do you think? I think this first one that we're going to do here at the end of July is tailor-made for people that have experienced some kind of a loss. It doesn't have to be, you know, huge, dramatic, catastrophic, but definitely they know, they when they think about that, whatever it is that was lost, They've got a pain point right there. They've yeah. got, they know they're grieving and they know that you just know when you haven't come into that place of emotional freedom or you know that you don't have the tools to get there. So we want to equip people with those tools. That's wonderful. At Embrace. Yes, that's wonderful. So people who have experienced a great loss in a child or a parent what about somebody who's an adult or, who lost a parent as a young child and knows that they've sure. never fully recovered? Absolutely. Or, or even has gone through a deep relationship loss. Like a divorce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, a divorce or... Uh, what about a best friend? Those can be the most severe. Absolutely. That is a catastrophic loss right it there. Is. The greater the bond, the greater the pain. So it doesn't matter who mm. that person is. It's the degree of the bond with that person that kind of defines the level of pain we suffer. Okay. So are anybody listening right now that says, oh yeah, I did lose somebody. And when they're I, in, they know while we're speaking right now, there was something painful that happened inside and they have not been able to completely recover from that. And it does affect their life and it kind of pops its head up every once in a while, or it's a consistent pain mm -hmm. or you notice that there's manifestations of anger or depression and you know that 
this might have something to do with that. I think Embraced is a perfect place for these people. And it's going to be July 30th through August 1st. We will have it here at the Crestview Manor in Corbett, Oregon, which is just outside of Portland. In fact, people can fly into the Portland airport. We are 20 minutes from the airport, so convenient. And yet you get to come out to the Columbia River Gorge. It's gorgeous, gorgeous. beautiful, Ooh. overlooking In the Columbia July. River. It's, oh my. It's perfect. perfect. It's absolutely perfection. And you'll get to come here. You'll get to encounter the living God. You'll get to be embraced yes. by the Holy Spirit who loves us, who knows exactly what we need, when we need it, and how much we need of it. And also get some tools for recovery. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't wait for this. I can't either. So to register, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Going to the Tetelestai Ministries website, and we have a short code for that. It's john1930.com, J-O-H-N-1930 dot com. Because we know that Tetelestai Ministries is definitely difficult to spell. <laughs> so I've been sitting here today with um, Pam Vredevelt and Pam, you and John are an inspiration mm-hmm. for the goodness of God and how much hope there is in Jesus, no matter what happens to us. And I just thank you so much for being with us today. I want to thank all our listeners today. You have been listening to the Tetelestai podcast. I'm Jenny Donnelly, and we are on a still journey. This is a journey. It's not a checkbox, unfortunately. It is a journey. Please be sure to subscribe to our emails at john1930.com. Subscribe to this podcast. And also don't forget about the people in your life who need to hear this content. It's free, it's easy, and we will see you next episode.